Welcome to This Week at TMS. I'm your host, Ben Dieter. In this new podcast, we will take you inside the offices of the Miami student. Every Friday, you will hear the story behind one of the stories from our weekly print edition from the journalist that reported the story. This week, Delta Tau Delta has been suspended for 15 years. Assistant news editor Tim Carlin tells us how we got here. And I sit down to discuss the incident with Dean of Students Kimberly Moore. It's Friday, September 6th. Tim Carlin, can you take us through the night that got this whole situation started? Um, sure. So basically the event that kind of kicked everything off was Delta Tau Delta's big little reveal. So it's like a night where uh, new members or pledges um, get their big brother. So what happened that night, um, they played this game called Drink Till You Puke, which is, I think, pretty self-explanatory. Um, a lot of college students are familiar with it, I guess. Um, so they started with that. Um, the police report describes uh, excessive drinking, um, marijuana, weed, whatever. Um, and then after that, the uh, the new members are separated. They're kept in a room, blindfolded, dark, um, described as weird music, quote-unquote, was being played. And they had to wait to um, meet their big brother. So then what made this particular big little reveal different from maybe prior years for Delta Tau Delta? Um, I can't uh, I can't speak to like the prior um, big little reveals because I, I only know what I read in the report. But um, at this event, new new pledges or new members are not pledges anymore. New members um, get paddled by their bigs and other members of the fraternity. OK, um, <clears throat> so how exactly does this, you know, come to be? in a report? How do we now know a lot of this information? How did this come out mm -hmm. of that, you know, what I would assume is a pretty, you know, closed off room? Yeah. Um, so basically what happened was uh, one of the new members, he was, um, I'm going to say beaten because that's what happened to him. He was beaten uh, so badly that he was bleeding internally and he had to be uh, taken to the hospital after the event. Um, the, the words, call 911, I think I'm going to die, have been used a lot in our reporting. Um, those are his words that he said to his girlfriend. It's in the, in the police report and in Miami's 33-page report as well. So um, what happened was they, the new members were brought in. Um, they were drinking. They were smoking weed, whatever was going on. And then um, they were told that they would be paddled. And the, uh, the the specific new member who filed a report, it said that he was like, I don't want to be a part of this. And and then um, kind of got silent. Uh, no one really knew what to do at that point because I don't think they were really expecting that. Um, and then they convinced him to stay. He, he stayed of his own accord, according to the report. Um, and he got paddled. And he was... Uh, he was kicked. He was uh, spit on while doing push-ups on the floor. He was paddled with a, a – it's called a – they're calling it a spiked paddle. Some people say it was had maybe letters on it, grooves, um, paddled with pants on, without pants on, um, to the point where, like I said before, he was bleeding internally and had to be taken to the hospital. Okay, so then he goes to the hospital. How does he then file that report? Um – 
it's not it wasn't the police report was filed immediately because that's what happens when you are when you go to the hospital okay so i think a better question then would be how did the university become familiar with the situation Um, five days later i believe he filed a report with the university through the online reporting system for um, incidents that happened, like with racism, anything, any type of like campus incident. He reported it there, and, and that's with that report and incident button on everyone's My Miami. Is that yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. He so he he filed a report um, online. It went to I don't know the department that it goes to in the university, but I know that that is what what kicked it off. Okay. And so all of this happens in the spring semester. We have yeah. this investigation gets underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fraternity is being investigated as well as a few individual members, from what yes. I understand. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so all this happens in the spring semester, and we all go home for yes. the summer. What is the next big development? You mentioned this report. Is that yes. what happened next? So um, on the, the last day of the semester, the last day of finals on May 17th, um, there was a hearing where individual DELT members, as well as the fraternity as a whole, were um, sentenced by the university. So um, no no members actually showed up to that hearing because it was the last day of classes. A lot of people were going home, or a lot, last day of finals, sorry. A lot of people were going home. But um, the fraternity, as well as the individual members, did appeal the charges that were brought against them. And then the investigation was underway. And on in the beginning of June... The rep- the thirty three page report was made public and was the Miami student got a hold of it and so not then when we had that report that's when we went through it and what else is in this report you've kind of picked bits and pieces yeah. so far what are some of the other big highlights from it um so the police report is in there um there are there are text messages between the reporter or the person who reported and um, other frat members, um, text messages that kind of are telling him, you know, this is, this is a good fraternity. Like, uh, yeah, this event sucks, but um, it, it turns boys into men. Uh, text messages like that kind of encouraging him to keep quiet about it, not really report it, just forget that it happened and move on, stuff like that. Um, they're also, like I said, it goes into extreme detail from the um boy that reported its point of view what happened that night from the very beginning to him being in the hospital and so the next big thing we hear obviously is you know the headline from this past week that delta you know well delts Mm -hmm. was suspended for 15 years with some kind of probation possibility Mm -hmm. eventually who ultimately has final say on that and why didn't it come until you know late like Mm -hmm. more toward when we were coming back for class Mm -hmm. so um they so the way that the process went was they were charged um they appealed those charges so then they had to wait until we got back to um to campus for them to appear before um it's a panel of faculty staff and students i don't know who makes up that panel i think they keep that confidential but that is who decides ultimately what happens but they had to um uh, bring their appeal before them, and then the panel ultimately decided whether to accept or reject their appeal, and um, ultimately decide what their punishment would be. Okay, and then my last question for you here, Tim, is more uh, not so much reporting related, but really opinion related. This happened, you know, pr- in the middle of your first year mm-hmm. at Miami. What was it like for you to see this play out, both mm-hmm. as a reporter and as a first year student? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think as a first year student, it was it was pretty surreal because you always hear about, you know, hazing incidents happening in, in far off places. And I know that the Greek life is very big on Miami's campus. Um, so it was kind of it was wild to take a step back and think, wow, this is happening, happening right here. Not that I didn't know that it happened. I mean, I think that everyone assumes that hazing is just a part of of Greek life. And I think that it's not really OK for us to just keep that assumption anymore. And I really think that President Crawford and, and Dean Moore and everyone at the, uni- the university was trying to send that message by by sending that email that we all got, you know, right before we left for spring break, that nothing is off limits. This is a an all-encompassing investigation. You know, they, they wanted to send a message that this is not okay and it won't be tolerated. And I, I appreciated that because I think that um, the the notion that that hazing is just something that happens, turns boys into men, it's whatever, you know, paddling is fine. I think that that's a very dated, unhealthy um, thought for us to carry out in 2019 Um, and as a reporter I thought that um, it would be a really big story and I uh, it sounds bad to say but I'm I'm glad that I got the experience of working on a story like this because I think it it helps develop your career you know all right Tim Carlin thank you for sitting down with me we'll be right back started. Uh, okay. Dimor, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Uh, so I want to start with this situation before you came on as dean last year. What had you known about Miami and the role that Greek life plays here before you got here? Well, whenever you, you know, are in a job search, um, you, you do your research um, on any institution to see if you'd be interested. Um, so you know, when you're in the field of higher education, you know about Miami University and you know that it is the mother of all fraternities. So we have a number of alpha chapters here. You know that it's a significant portion of the undergraduate student body. Um, and so those are things that I knew coming in. Um, Greek life does not sit within my portfolio. Um, however, at Loyola University of Chicago, where I was, I was the director of student activities and Greek affairs for six years. So I was also plugged into a sorority and fraternity life um, nationally, and you know that Miami um, leads in the in, in in Greek life, and it's a robust part of the student experience here. Right, and so what was that uh, experience at Loyola like for you when you were working with Greek life, and how does it compare to what it's been like at Miami? Well, the biggest difference is that at Loyola, um, the student population, there's only about 10, and it was growing, so maybe at this point it's about 12% of the undergraduate student population is identifies as Greek at, at Loyola. And here it's much larger than that. It's hovering around 30%, um, if not a little under, a little more. I don't know the exact number. but um, So it's a significant portion of the undergraduate student body, plus the student body here is larger. Um, so you have 16,000 undergraduate students here, where at Loyola you had about 10,000. Um, so just the, the numbers um, is pretty is different. And the other significant difference is that Loyola didn't have houses. Um, and so they were social fraternities, but they did not have, have um, housing corporations attached to them. So, and of course, fraternities do, do here. And coming away now that, now that you're in your second year as mm-hmm. a dean, what, was, what were some big takeaways that you 
that you learned uh, being here on campus for the first time? Did that, did your, like, your view of Greek life at this institution change at all? Like, what, what was that like for you, like, looking back? No, I mean, I, you know, we have a really good relationship at my office and, and community standards and, and a lot, you know, residence life. And I mean, we just have a really good relationship with um, the Cliff, Cliff's, um, Cliff office. And, you know, we have conversations about how we can support, um, you know, Greek recruitment and, um, you know, standards and honoring fraternity and, and some of the initiatives that were, were being launched um, you know, it's, it's important for, for my team to support those efforts. Um, you know, there weren't really a lot of surprises. I have to say, I wasn't surprised. Um, the reality met sort of the expectations, um, in my first year. There was so much work that was done prior to me coming here, um, through the Honoring Fraternity, um, initiative that, it was, it was just interesting to learn that in the first semester I was here and then to see it actually play out in the spring term. Um, you know, there was obviously a big incident that happened, but it was one um, versus the history where there would usually, um, you know, more than one major incident in the spring when recruitment starts to happen. Okay, and now uh, I wanna shift to the incident itself what was the first your first reaction when that whole situation first came across your desk um my initial reaction is always to pursue more information right so as the dean of students you you balance you are always balancing um being with students and and listening and learning about their experience um, I orient myself, my approach, I always try to take a compassionate approach to a student who, who is, is going through something that's so difficult, um, or students, right? Um, and then you always have to pursue information. You have to get more information, understand sort of, of the context of the incident, and then you, you move through policy and you move through process. So you balance process, policy, with compassion, because these are individual students, regardless of their role or responsibility in it. Um, you know, these are allegations at that point, right? Um, and so you leave room for figuring out what happened. Um, so my initial reaction was just to listen um, and and then to pivot to to process and, and policy and and moving through it, right? Um, but this one, you know, this one was pretty, pretty tough. Yeah. So if I can ask you about the, the photo that became very notorious regarding this Delta situation, what was, what did you think when you first saw that photo? Well, I can't really confirm or deny that the, the, the photo that was out there was connected to the case. So I can speak to photos that I saw as part of the case more sure. generally. Sure. What did you think when you saw various, you know, photographic evidence? Because that often, you know, carries a different weight than sure. testimonial evidence. So when I sure. saw the, the, the images that I saw um, related to that case, what did I think? I thought I, I was disheartened, saddened, um, 
shocked, um, all, all of those things. But again, there's different time timing to this, right? So you don't know if the photos you're seeing are in fact connected, right? So you have to sort of give a little bit of room for the investigation to know what really happened. So those pictures independent, anybody looking at the ones that I saw would would be shocked, alarmed, and, and deeply saddened to see. Um, but then you have to leave room for whether or not those things are in fact um, an outcome of the allegation. You see what I mean? So there's a lot of balancing. Right. And what was the process as a whole like for you it, with it being your first year as, as a dean? Like what was, what was that like for you? You know, it's my first year as dean here, but I've been doing this work for a really long time. Um, and you learn to trust the process. Um, and as a dean of students, it's, it's, as a dean of students, it's my responsibility to, to advocate care and support for all of our students. Whether that's through an accountability process or whether that's through helping a student, you know, through unexpected challenge, whatever it might be, I'm always positioned to, to listen and, and to be compassionate and empathetic and to try to figure out the best route forward. And there were a number of students involved in varying degrees in this particular case and all of them deserve, you know, support through the process. Um, and a level of empathy and compassion as well, right? You can hold somebody accountable and also be empathetic and compassionate at the same time. And so this case, there were very high stakes all the way across the board. And so for me, it's I didn't do anything different. I, I approached it the way I approached all of my work, which is balancing care and compassion and, and accountability and really truly trusting the process. How do you think the, the Greek community and the fraternities in particular should move forward given what's happened to Delta Tau Delta? Should they, what should their takeaway be, if anything? I, I think experiences like this, all stakeholders can learn something from, right? you learn from it and that either incrementally or significantly culture starts to change. Right. I mean, that's really the goal I think. And that, that could be nationally around fraternities and sororities, right? Um, we're seeing a national decline in affiliation, um, for a reason. There are very high stakes for these students. Um, now saying that there are some, there are major upsides to getting involved in, in Greek life and affiliating. So my hope is that students start to change culture within and start understanding why fraternities and sororities have been around so long and the value that they bring to a community. My hope is that students learn from this and understand that the risk that is involved when you 
when you haze or um, when you reduce a human being um, are incredibly high. Timor, I want to thank you again so much for your time today. I really appreciate you sitting yeah. with me. Yeah, absolutely. This Week at TMS is produced and edited by me with supervising production from our managing editor, Kaylee Doyle. Special thanks to Miami's Media Journalism and Film Department. Our theme music is composed by Sam Terribolini. That's all for this week at TMS. Tune in to the Miami Student on SoundCloud next Friday for a new episode. I'm Ben Dieter. See you next week. Love and honor.